Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer, and my guest today is Connie Hubner. Welcome, Connie. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yeah. Connie is one of these people who makes Fairfield, Iowa, an interesting place to live. She and I have both lived here for decades. She's originally from Grand Rapids, is it? Yes. Born Michigan. and raised in Grand Rapids, Grand Michigan. Grand Rapids, Michigan, and has a very interesting story to tell. And I didn't actually know much of the details of Connie's story until just this last week when I read something she had written about it. And here I've been living in the same town and been friends with her for years. And I, I thought, wow, this is really a treasure trove. <laughs> so we're going to turn it into an interview. As I recall in the thing you wrote, you started out in more or less, was it college or childhood in your account of things you went through? Well, my first spiritual experience, my big spiritual experience was college. Yeah. My childhood was really quite wonderful, living in a small town and uh, having a lot of freedom to explore and roam around and be in the country. I had a social conscience at the time, even as a child, because I wanted to be the president of the United States when I grew up. <laughs> but the reason I wanted to be president was because I was aware that the world was an uncomfortable place for many people, and I wanted to be able to do something about it. So my first thought was, I guess I'll have to become president to be able to do something. It's not too late. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Well, I'm doing, I'm doing something about it differently now, and I'm very pleased with what I'm doing now. Yeah. So anyway, it was in college when I first had a sort of a hit-me-over-the-head spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. Do you want me to talk about that? Yeah, yeah. All right. I actually was an atheist at the time. I had decided that God was going to have to prove himself to me if God existed. Mm -hmm. And so I was just enjoying my college life at a big university and um, was happy and having fun and so on. And... One day I was in a field with a friend, just lying on my back, looking up at the sky. It was daytime. As I looked up at the blue sky, I knew there were stars out there that I couldn't see. And so I thought, I'm going to try to look between those stars. As I was just looking into this vast expanse of blue, and I just kept, it's almost like I was craning my neck to look between the stars as far out into the universe as I could. Something happened. The simplest way to say it is I just became everything. I was the stars, I was the sky, I was this, the grass on, that I was lying on in the field. I just became one with everything. I have no idea how long the experience lasted, uh, because when I finally sort of got up and looked around and saw my friend next to me, all I could say to him was, we're one. And of course, he kind of, you know, looked and said, oh, yeah, well, that's great. You know, it didn't impress him that much. But I was like, no, we are one. It was so striking to me. And still, he wasn't, you know, he didn't really know what I was talking about. Keep in mind, this was, I believe it was the fall of 1968. Spirituality was just kind of becoming an interest in terms of oneness and, and expansion and so on. The traditional spirituality had pretty strong hold back then. So I realized, well, he doesn't understand what I'm talking about. We went on with our day. I went back to my dorm, 
and was going to go to sleep that night. And I thought, I can't forget this. I don't want to go to sleep and then forget about this experience because it's so amazing. And you were still having and, it. Yes, yeah. yes. Oh, yeah. Eight hours later. I was still having it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was doing my usual things, but I was still experiencing my union with everything, my oneness. But I thought I might forget it when I went to sleep. So I wrote a, a note on my mirror. Actually, I just put a big number one on my mirror. So that in the morning when I woke up, I'd look in the mirror and I'd say, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm one with everything. But the ridiculous thing is, there was no way I could forget that I was one with everything. It was indelible. It was like falling into indelible ink. Mm -hmm. um, but it was invisible indelible ink. Nobody could see it except me. And it wasn't that I was seeing it, I was experiencing it. Mm -hmm. And it was actually a very enjoyable experience. I liked it. So when you woke up the next um, morning, I was still, it was still going on. It. Yeah. Yeah. And it yeah. has never stopped since. It has never stopped. Yeah. Even though I have tried to get rid of it even. <laughs> <laughs> Not recently I haven't tried. Yeah. I mean I I appreciate now the value of it. But um back then I thought I would try because I wanted to test it. I was scientifically researching it after a while. You know um the fun thing the thing I thought kind of funny and ironic is that the experience you started with is the state that many people on a spiritual path consider to be the goal. But for you, it was mm -hmm. just the beginning. Yeah. And you went on from there. Right. You know, there was still plenty right. of territory to traverse right. and still is. That's so true. Yeah. So true. And one of the first things that I realized was it was absolutely ridiculous to be an atheist because now I'm God. I'm experiencing myself in the unity of all things. And everything just flip-flopped in my life. I would try to explain the experience to, to people, and they usually looked at me pretty strangely. Mm -hmm. And uh, many of them suggested that I go see a psychiatrist, which, believe it or not, I did do. It didn't do much for the experience, and I realized that that wasn't the direction that I, that I needed to go. Um, when I would look at people and say, I'm one with you, often they would become very uncomfortable. Hmm. It was like I was just being much too intimate. Yeah. You know, I realized that didn't work. And basically, I just started a quest of trying to find somebody else who was having the experience. Mm -hmm. Because nobody I knew was having the experience. Nobody I, I knew even knew what I was talking about. Although... A lot of people, because this was academia, they said, well, there were philosophers who talked about this. Mm -hmm. So they would send me to different philosophers, which I would read avidly. And yes, they were talking about it, but they were dead. And I needed to find somebody who was alive that I could commune with in this way, consciously commune and share this experience with. It took me a while. It actually took me a while. I did a lot of seeking. I talked to a lot of people about it. I think it was about a, a year and a half later that I finally found one person who was having the experience. Well, during that next year, I started to avidly seek somebody um, who, could, who was having this experience of oneness. And because people didn't really know what I was talking about as an experience, I changed my language and I said, I've come up with this oneness theory uh -huh. that everything is really one. And as a theory, 
in, you know, academia, they could definitely accept it and talk about it. And we had lots of great conversations. But I kind of felt like I was hiding because I couldn't tell anyone. Yeah, and you know, that's my experience all the time. I, I live with that. But that didn't work. Anytime I tried, it didn't work. So eventually I did graduate because this happened in the fall of my senior year. Or Yeah, the fall of my senior year. I ended up graduating and going to Boston, Massachusetts to work. The person that I found there that I thought might be having the experience was Baba Ram Das, the former Richard Alpert. And he was giving talks in the Boston area. He had just finished coming back from meeting his guru in India. And his talks were fascinating. And one weekend, friends of mine were going up to Vermont. Maybe it was New Hampshire. I think it was New Hampshire. And I heard that he had a family home. He'd been doing some weekend retreat up there with a group of his followers. And we happened to be in the vicinity, so I convinced my friends to drive over. They were not into this the way I was, so I really had to do a lot of convincing. And I made the phone call to his house. I was just kind of bold. I was actually very bold in this search. Mm -hmm. I just was driven to find somebody else because I was either crazy you know, and I, I knew I wasn't crazy, but I was very isolated. I felt, you know, I didn't have anybody to, to share this with. Anyway, I called him up. He said, come over. I got my friends to drive me there. And when we got to the farm, which is where his, his family farm in New Hampshire, nobody would get out of the car. <laughs> so I said, all right, I'm going to go meet this man. And I, um, got out, walked across the lawn, knocked on the back door, and he came out. He answered the door. And all I wanted to do was look into his eyes because I had developed this test. Mm -hmm. The test was if somebody could hold my gaze. I mean, now in retrospect, the test seems kind of silly. But at the time, it was a very important test. If someone could hold my gaze and we could meet eyes, hold the gaze, and connect in that oneness and not shift the gaze, that person must be experiencing the oneness. Mm -hmm. So I had never found anyone. I'd, I'd been staring at people for a year and a half, and nobody had been able to hold my gaze. All I did was look at him. I had had some words that I'd rehearsed, like, I hope you have a pleasant journey, something like that. And, uh, but he did, he was able to hold my gaze, and we just had this, this silent exchange, but a very powerful exchange, because it was, the ex it was the meeting of consciousness. It was the meeting of wholeness, the meeting of oneness, which is an incredible experience to have with anyone. He met my gaze, and then we embraced. Um, I remember hearing him breathe. I think he was practicing a breathing technique, but at the time I, I didn't even know what that was. I knew he was going back to India the next day to be with his master again. But anyway, I had met one person, and that one person that I'd met, far from me being able to exchange more and be with him more and even talk about it, was leaving the next day. That was a bit of a disappointment. But at least I had met him. And you just I remember, said, have a nice trip or something. Yeah, I said, have a nice trip back to India. And, um, you know, it was all this nonverbal experience mm. that was so significant. And he 
said thank you. And, you know, it was a very polite verbally verbal exchange. But on the deep levels, it was a very profound experience. He recognized me as having the experience. I recognized him. And that was really what I was looking for because it gave me the confidence that, okay, I'm not alone in this. I left and it took me a while to find somebody else, you know, who I could experience that with on a regular basis. But in Boston at the time, I was still talking about my oneness theory to people. A friend of mine said, go, go to the Transcendental Meditation Center. Sometimes in when we're all practicing the meditation together, she said, I feel at one with everyone in the group. So I immediately went off to the Transcendental Meditation Center, learned TM, and it wasn't until the last the last night of the checking, the third night follow-up meeting, that they talked about cosmic consciousness that I suddenly tuned in. I thought, that's that's what I'm looking for. So I raised my hand because I could tell the teacher wasn't experiencing what he was talking about. And so I said, do you know anyone that experiences this? And he said, well, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi experiences at least cosmic consciousness. And then he went on to explain that was just the beginning of the growth of consciousness. Immediately, my next task was to find a way to meet Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. And it took me another year and a half, (laughs) really uh, about a year, to figure out how I was going to meet him, which was to go to a preliminary teacher training course. I did do that. It was in Amherst, Massachusetts. I believe by then it was 1971. I was there. I might have met you. (laughs) It was great. There were thousands of people there. It was, as I said, a preliminary course for training teachers, which I was very interested in because um, having learned TM, I then had followed up on a lot of the advanced courses that were available and weekend courses and really liked everything that I had heard and was planning to become a teacher of TM. But the big thing was I had to test Maharishi. I had to make sure that he was experiencing the oneness. (laughs) because he talked about it, but I needed to look in his eyes. So I finally got my chance. I had taken an advanced technique, and he was checking the the techniques. And so I got in line to go up and and sit with him for a few minutes to get my technique checked. I don't know if I should tell the little incident about about my dress. (laughs) Oh, yeah, sure. Well, that's that's kind of funny. Go ahead. Here, Maharishi was a monk from India, and I had this mini dress on at the time. Um, You know, it was the summer of 1971. I had this mini dress, and I didn't have time to go back and change and put on something that I thought might be more appropriate to meet a monk in. So I just had this little mini dress, and I went up and sat by him, and my biggest concern was that the dress was so short, and I kept trying to pull the dress down, but then the Top the would neck would come down. <laughs> so then I would try to pull the neck up, and the dress would come up. <laughs> so there was, so that was the first few minutes of my uh, experience of sitting with him. I was trying to figure out pulling the dress up, but pulling the dress down, and what to do. Finally, I gave up, and um, just looked at him. You know, looked him in the eyes. And it was just powerful, is all I can say. 
I mean, I just got lost in his gaze. I just fell into this, you know, unfathomable, infinite source of all of life. And in fact, I was the one that turned away. I remember turning away because it was like he showed me so much more than I had, than I was experiencing at the time. And I just like got pulled into it. So it was very, very profound. And I definitely signed on to um, teach TM and, you know, help other people have that experience, that experience that, that I was having, the experience that Maharishi had like really shown me he was having. I spent the next 20 years as a TM teacher, and I learned a tremendous amount about consciousness, as, as you well know, about all about the ancient Vedic tradition, the growth and development of consciousness that's available for human beings. It was just fascinating, fascinating for me. And I loved every minute of it. So after a while, anybody who's investigated TM knows that TM was presented in a very scientific vein. There was lots of scientific research verifying the, the validity of the TM technique. And as teachers, we talked in a scientific way. It was just the way that the, the whole thing was languaged. It was about stress release. It was about, um, it was definitely, we talked about consciousness, but we explained it in scientific terms that it could be measured and validated and and all of these things, which really helped it be accepted, you know, by the general population, as it was very well accepted. But what happened to me was during that time is I was continuing to grow in the depth of my experience of, of oneness, of unbounded consciousness. And um, I started to get this yearning to meet God. And Maharishi talked about this. He talked about shaking hands with God. And he frequently, as you know, would say, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Well, of course, Jesus said that, and I had heard it from Jesus, but somehow now that I was ex having an inward experience of something that certainly was very deep and I could even say heaven-like, I wanted more of it. What started to grow was this development of, of my heart. In my private moments, I would just be praying to God and saying, how can I know you? How can I meet you? How can I... Um, Which is almost verbatim what Marcy said in that lecture, you know? Right. Yeah. The, the, the shaking hands with God yeah, lecture. Yeah, the, the person sees the artist's work and, and thinks, oh, is this so beautiful? I've got to meet the artist. And the yearning to meet the artist grows stronger and stronger and stronger until eventually yes. the artist says, hears that there's this guy who really appreciates my work. And, <laughs> and uh, he, from his side, comes to meet his admirer. Right, right. That's right. So I was in that process of yearning, and it made it very difficult for me to talk about this objective scientific experience of the divine. I wanted to go in and talk about the devotional aspect. But of course, I, I certainly respected the, the way TM was being taught, and I just taught the way I was trained to teach as a TM teacher. One question that occurs to me that people might ask is, if you were experiencing everything as one, Mm -hmm. then who was this God you wanted to meet, and where was this God? It seems that, you know, if, if everything is one, then God is already included within that oneness, so what more is there to find? Great question. Yes. So 
I had met God the omnipresent. Unmanifest. The unmanifest yeah. omnipresence of God. And I was flowing and moving in that sort of that unmanifest, omnipresent, all-knowingness field. But what I was wanting was a personal God, a personal relationship with God. I wanted to talk to God. I wanted to ask questions to God. I wanted a, an internal, constant exchange with God. And so still there's a sense that God is someone that I could talk with and ask questions of who is in some sense different from that unbounded field which I know myself to be. Because otherwise one could ask questions and talk to that unbounded mm -hmm. field, if mm -hmm. that's, if that's mm -hmm. God. Mm -hmm. And why not just do that? What, why, what is one seeking for that is in some sense different from that unbounded field? I was seeking a relationship with God. Mm -hmm. um, and the relationship with the unbounded is very abstract. It's, it's like a relationship with, with being. I wanted the personal relationship with God. I'm reminded of what Maharishi said. He said, prayers to the absolute are a waste of time. He said, it's like a rock. You right, know, it's right, like, right, right, right. Who, who hears those prayers? You know, they're, they're, So there must be a personal aspect of God to whom one could appeal. Yes, yeah. yes. And that's where I was. I wanted this personal relationship, the personal... I wanted to find and talk to and engage with the personal aspect of that. And um, it wasn't sort of an intellectual choice. It was more of a yearning from my heart. Mm. Because intellectually, I knew like, okay, I, I have God. Yeah, you know, like the things I was just saying. Yeah, yeah. But, you, but, but my heart kept moving me saying, there's more. There's a more sublime experience in the play with the Creator. Mm -hmm. So I was looking for that. And what happened is, what happened? <laughs> I couldn't talk about it with my friends, with my TM friends. And I again started to feel kind of isolated and alone. Like, like originally I had felt, you know, when I was only the only one I knew having the oneness experience. Had you even told your TM friends that you had been having this oneness experience since college? Or was that a little oh. bit, uh, did that oh, even no. fall on deaf ears? Yeah, no, I, I didn't tell them. They would think you were pretentious or something. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I didn't tell anyone. I just, in the TM organization, we just didn't talk about experiences that much. Yeah. And if anyone did say that they were having some enlightened experience, it was kind of sometimes suspect. Yeah. Like, how, how can you say that? So I kept very, very quiet about my experience. Mm -hmm. Even my need to find God, I just didn't, didn't talk about it much. I don't even think I talked about it all. I was going to church. I started going to churches, and I kind of didn't really find much there. I investigated other other religious you know, areas. Obviously, the Eastern philosophies I was very comfortable with. I didn't come from that cultural tradition. You know, the worship and the experience was somewhat foreign. And I thought, anyway, I thought it, it must be in Christianity or Christianity wouldn't have survived for so long, mm. even though I was unable to find it um, in talking to different ministers and religious people. So again, I felt sort of on my own in my search for God. Now I was searching for the personal God. So here's what I did. By that time, I had had a child, mm -hmm. and she was an infant at the time. And So what year are we talking about now? Just um, we must sake. be talking about 1986. Okay. What year did you and David get married? Oh, we got married in 79. Okay. So anyway, now 
my daughter would take a nap every day. And during her nap, I, I made this conscious decision that I was not going to, I, I had been in some ways seeking outside of myself. I'd been going to talking to religious people. I'd been reading books on God. And, and I had been looking in the book or in the conversation or in the lecture that I went to for God and for other people's experience of God. And I realized that I couldn't look out there. That was an experience that belonged to someone else. I had to find it within myself if I were going to believe that the kingdom of heaven was within me. Mm -hmm. So I decided to just go in close my eyes my, while my daughter was napping and look for the kingdom of heaven. First day that I decided to do this, she was taking her nap and I went into my room and, and closed my eyes and was sort of sitting there with, where's the kingdom? Nothing happened. You know, it was just blank. Everything and this is blank. obviously a different approach than your regular TM meditation that you were doing. Yeah. Right. I wasn't, I didn't go in there you and meditate. You were mantra and you were just like... No. Have, sitting there with the eyes closed with this intention to find right. the kingdom of heaven. Exactly. Okay. I would just sit there and look. <laughs> I would look from the inside. Yeah. And I'm sure you had had very blissful, sublime experiences during meditation, but somehow those were not quite the kingdom of heaven as you were, were seeking it. No, no. You knew there was something I, more than yeah. those. Mm -hmm. I mean, I did have some very excellent, wonderful experiences in meditation with lots of you know, the welling up of lots of, of what I would call love, lots mm -hmm. of, you know, just incredible peace. And you also had the 24-7 oneness yeah, <laughs> as like yeah. a foundation. Right, right, right. But you knew there was something more. Than so that wasn't what I was looking for. I mean, I don't know exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> but you knew that there was. But that wasn't it. Right. <laughs> I mean, I knew the experience of the infinite wholeness, the, the abstract presence of being, very intimately. And now, in retrospect, when I closed my eyes and I went into the room, that's really what I was sitting in, mm -hmm. is that abstract being. And I would just sit there, and I would, it, was, it would get a little boring, actually. <laughs> and so, but the next day, I'd go back, and I would do it again. So finally, I started asking some questions. I started saying, okay, Jesus, you said the kingdom of heaven, heaven is within show it to me. Where is it? Again, nothing happened. I didn't get any answer, nothing. So I started asking for it, though, at least. And I went on for a month or maybe six weeks, maybe even two months like this. The one thing I do have to say is I, I was persistent. Yeah, I was say, you're, you're fairly uh, stick to I, <laughs> I felt that if, if Maharishi and Jesus said the kingdom of heaven was within, I did believe them. And so I was going to have to find it for myself. One day, as I was sitting there looking for the kingdom of heaven, I saw a little sparkle of light. And it was the first thing that I had seen in my inner vision that was at all. And so I immediately started to watch that light. Interestingly enough, when I watched the light, the light seemed to grow. Not to distract you or sidetrack you, because we'll get right back to this. If it's 1987 or something, you had been, or 86, you had been practicing the TM City program for a number of years. We don't need to elaborate too much on what the TM City program is, but it's sort of an advanced program that TM people learn, and, and there are all these various cities described by Patanjali in the Yoga Sutras, many of which involve inner visions of various kinds, you know, things that you would know 
or experience inwardly that you wouldn't ordinarily know or experience. Mm -hmm. So had mm -hmm. you been successful with those? I don't know how to define successful because I did have experiences with them. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I really understood what they were, mm -hmm. which is interesting because I understand them really well now. But at that time, I didn't really understand what was happening or even what was supposed to happen, except that you did it and there was a, a, res a response, which I did do and I had a response. Sometimes they were great responses, sometimes, you know, not so much. But none of them were the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> well, no. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would have experiences of the different siddhis on the subtle. They were actually satisfying, but they weren't what I was, they weren't what I was seeking or um, I guess I could even say expecting. Yeah. It's always a little dangerous to have expectations, but they weren't what I was expecting either. And so I wanted something that I could own that was more, more my own, actually, and more intimate to me. Mm. And more God-related. That's right. Definitely. Definitely God-related. Yeah. I mean, the cities, you know, various things, friendliness, compassion, mm -hmm. happiness, knowledge of the cosmic regions, different things like that, but not a whole lot about God. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Okay. So then I saw this little light, and I started to watch the little light and it would move and flow and so on. And to make a long story short, once I saw the light for the first time, I started looking for it every day. As I did it day after day, their tremendous light started to be revealed to me. Um, I still didn't call that the kingdom of heaven, but it was, it was really like somebody had rolled me a flashlight in, a, in this darkness of my inner world. And now I had something to use to, to look for the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. Um, I had a tool to use. And what I noticed as I worked with the light is that I started to feel really good. And that actually um, my life started to change. That if I were unhappy, if I had a problem with my child, one child at that time, or my husband or anything in my life, if I poured light into it, if I increased the light in it, the problem would shift and I would find solutions. So you were experiencing so, an inner light, but somehow by virtue of this experience of inner light, you were able to pour light into a, another person or situation. Well, that happened kind of gradually okay. because first of all, I would pour, first of all, I was just experiencing the light. Then I got the idea that maybe I could pour the light into myself when I was outside of this looking for the kingdom of heaven. I could just do it when I was washing the dishes or driving my car, and I did, and I found it had a tremendous effect on me. Then I got the idea that, well, maybe if, you know, my husband came home from work and he was complaining about something that had happened at the office, if I poured light into him, it might change things, mm -hmm. and it did. So I started to work with the power of light to change situations in myself and in my environment. Mm -hmm. That was great. I started to feel mastery over the universe, actually, <laughs> by, that I could change things just by increasing light in a particular area. Mm -hmm. I still do this. I still close my eyes and ask to be shown things within, and I'm shown a lot of things. But in the beginning, I uncovered these, what I now call 
vibrational tools, and I actually teach them there. I, you know, on my website, I have many, many that people can download and use for themselves, and I'll teach them how to use them, because it's a way. The divine light being just the first one I uncovered. It's a way that you don't have to feel that you're a victim of circumstances. That you can actually, by changing things at the level of the energy, which is. Light change outcomes.、Um, that's that's something that is quite fascinating to me right now. But after working with light for a while, I started. I was was welling up with divine love, and I realized that love is the other side of light, and that I could actually work with the energy of divine love. The whole thing really just unfolded as I learned about all of these what I call divine tools and techniques. I know this now. At the time that I was uncovering them, I was—I didn't really know what they are. Now I realize the divine light that I found, the divine love, the divine truth, and the divine grace that I uncovered are all qualities of God, and that I was qualities of the divine were being revealed to me, and as they were revealed to me, I started to perceive God through. Having these qualities displayed to me. So you set out to find the kingdom of heaven, and you found light, love, grace, truth, truth, <laughs> different qualities. And so, did you feel in finding those that you had found or were finding the kingdom of heaven that you know these were the the sort of the attributes of it? Not, Not at first. first. Not at first. I was just learning. I was in definitely in learning mode,、mm -hmm. and so I would work with one of these tools. I would try it out, mostly on my friends and family, and I would find that that transformations would occur. Did they know you were trying anything on them, or you were just doing this subtly?、Um, at first, I did it subtly, and then、mm -hmm. I just started telling them,、yeah. me, "You're in a bad mood. Well, let me try this."、Mm -hmm. And then I would start to pour in divine light or divine love. Or、mm -hmm. I actually developed a sequence、mm -hmm. that I would use: first light, then love, then truth, then grace. And they did notice a shift. Would you both be sitting eyes closed while you were doing this process? Pouring light in.、Much. Did you kind of formalize it? So okay, let's sit down and do this. Yeah, we would sit down. Yeah. And what would happen was very naturally our eyes would start to close. Right. But it it doesn't have to. But because these qualities are divine qualities,、mm -hmm. they take you to this subtle level where the divine resides.、Mm -hmm. So that then we would sort of want to go within and want to experience that subtle level. Yeah. I could go through all this. There were many steps. Yeah, we have time. The best thing that started to happen was, as I told you, I started to say、um, in early on, Jesus, if there's a kingdom of heaven, show it to me. Well, I started to realize that Jesus was there, and this sort of came as a as a surprise to me. Because I would keep saying you you talk about the kingdom, you know. I kept talking to Jesus. Yeah, you you were petitioning him and, in particular, right, so therefore because he was the one who said it. So I thought, well, you said it, so you show it to me. Your money where your mouth is. Exactly. So what I started to notice was that when I would say, Jesus, show me this. Not only was there the light, but there was the A presence. I would feel a sense, an energy, a vibration that I started to identify as Jesus. In fact, I started like to start: Is this Jesus? 
And this was quite a few months after I was had dealt with the light and the love and the truth and the grace. And I would get, you know, like a positive response. And I have to tell people that I have really learned how to, I guess I call it read energy. And I learned through this process of, of my own how to perceive energy. And energy has a lot to say, a lot to tell people. Light, love, truth, and grace are just four aspects of divine energy that carries information, knowledge. And if you go into it, you, you can get divine knowledge. All of this was, was being sort of revealed to me from within uh, on, on a regular basis. But anyway, at one point I decided, I felt the presence of Jesus, and I every time I would say the name, a stronger presence would come. So I started saying, Jesus, are you there? And I'd get another, you know, big blast of, of energy. And so I got into a conversation with the energy of Jesus. And I started to learn how to interpret the energy into English words. It's like it was like reading a foreign language, and the language was was energy. So I got into a dialogue with Jesus, basically. It was incredible. It was just amazing. So I would ask a question, and I would get an energy answer, and then I would settle into the energy. I would sort of um, literally transcend into the energy, and information would come to me from Jesus. At first, it was like, I love you. I mean, it was just very loving, wonderful communication. And then I would ask another question, you know, simple questions. Who are you? And I would get a response from that. So now things were really getting exciting. Now the kingdom of heaven was becoming much closer. Mm. Yeah, you're really Um, talking to somebody. Right, right. For a long time, what I would do is I would prepare myself by bringing in all of the divine tools. I would fill myself with light, fill myself with divine love, center myself in divine truth, allow the divine grace. And I would do it. I had by that time written these things out in verbal form so that I could even read, read it from a paper. And I would get into this place, which I was beginning to call now the kingdom of heaven. And then I would ask for Jesus to come forth. And, and I want to tell you, I was not a religious person. I mean, in the traditional sense. I was spiritual. I mean, I was very magnetized by spirituality. But um, even talking to Jesus was, seemed a little funny to me because of the way traditional religion talked about it that I could never relate to. But now I was experiencing it within me. So I would have some conversation with Jesus, and it was always very loving. And many times I would just need to know how to handle my life. What do I do? How do I pay this bill? Is it wise for us to move into a new house? Um, How do I handle this disagreement that I had with my friend? I mean, just very ordinary, simple things that me and my personal life needed to know to feel comfortable and to move forward. I got answers, and when I acted on those answers, things smoothed out. My friends and I stopped, you know, the arguments dissolved, and whatever discontent was there was resolved. So it was very practical. It was extremely practical. But I didn't tell anyone about this because it just felt too personal, really, too personal. 
also, I didn't want to be challenged. I didn't, you know, it was like, are you sure? <laughs> and I, I didn't want to go into my intellect about it. It was all on the level of the heart. And so I just kept it very silently. I did share it with my husband, and he was completely respectful. And I just kept, kept going on like that. And then I kept getting, after a year or two, I kept getting an inner message, you need to share this with other people. You need to. And that was a huge step for me. Because one, I didn't think that my TM friends would take to it very, very well because I, it just was so out of the mold of what we had been doing. And I was nervous about doing it. Anyway, so I, so I did start sharing it with a few friends, just, just personal friends, and they loved it. I actually started, they could ask Jesus questions. And then I would say, okay, Jesus, what's your answer? And then I would tell them, this is what I'm getting. And they found it extremely illuminating and uplifting. So I just did that for friends and family for a number of years. And then again, I got another boost from the inside saying, you need to offer this to more people, and which I resisted for a couple years. But finally, the, the push from the inside to share what I had uncovered and discovered with, with more people was so intense to hold it back was becoming painful. So I just put a little blurb in the local newspaper, prayer assistance, because I didn't know what else to call it. And three people called me, and I put my phone number, and from those three people, it grew word of mouth. And pretty soon my whole day was, was giving what I at the time called prayer assistance. And people were having really great experiences using the tools, the vibrational tools, the divine light, the divine love, and divine grace. And I started to develop more vibrational tools as I worked with people because I realized people had blocks in their energy. I realized I had blocks in my energy, and I needed to find ways and means to clear the discord um, at deep levels of my system. Are these tools something you can explain in the course of an interview like this, or do they really have to go to your website and study a more detailed thing? It, wouldn't really, it would sort of be inappropriate to try to explain exactly how to do it here. Well, no, I can explain it. I call them now, after all these years, I call them Divine Mother's vibrational tools. Mm -hmm. The first one is Divine Light. It reads, and people can download a print version of it, it reads something like this, divine light is pouring into me now. Divine light is flooding me now. Divine light is filling me. Again and again, I am filled with divine light. It goes on like that. Or it's like I could, a prayer or an affirmation. Yes, but what's happening when you're saying it is you are actually telling light what to do. And I could say it for you. Mm -hmm. I could say you are being filled with divine light. Mm -hmm. Divine light is pouring into you. It's filling your heart. It's bathing you in its wonder, in its power, in its strength. You're being inundated by divine light. But what people don't realize is by saying that, light actually is coming into you. That's where even the energy aspect it, is. On some yes. level it is, even if, you're not, if you don't notice right. it. Right. Most, kind of a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> now, most people that do this with me, and I do do, I do many private sessions with people. I have a process that I go through that I set up. I first call in many, many divine beings. Are we getting ahead of ourselves? 
divine beings and all this? Well, we don't have to get. There's I only want to get one. Into that. There's only one. One that just has many names. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we will get into that. But just getting back to what you just said. So divine light is one of the mm-hmm. vibrational tools. Divine love, divine grace. I have a vibrational tool that breaks the subtle structures of untruth that we've created with our thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, every time we have a thought, there's a vibration that goes along with it. And if it's a negative thought, we create a negative vibration. And if we think those thoughts many times, we build up these negative vibrations. And they actually constrict the way we express ourselves. Um, they hold us to a small concept of who we are, even a negative concept of who we are. The tools I've developed is, t- is to break those structures, literally breaking us out of the energy cage that we've built around us that inhibits the full expression of, of who we are, our and, divine self. And just to reemphasize, people don't need you for this. They can learn these on their own and just do them on their own. Yes. I mean, you can be a facilitator if they happen yeah, to be I, able to sit with you or mm-hmm. Skype with you or something, mm-hmm. but, but ultimately they can learn these things and do them as a daily routine or something. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I, I recommend that they do that. In right. fact, I'm writing, I'm actually in the process of finishing up a book with a list of all the vibrational tools mm-hmm. that I'm hoping people can use. And just reading them, things change. Now, you know how it was with the TM City program when we learned it? Marshi said, well, you really need to establish consciousness pretty well before this will work for you. Mm-hmm. And in fact, when he first taught it, you know, he had us go like on a six-month meditation course, and, and we were like doing long meditations for three months before he even gave us any techniques or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with this thing, is the efficacy of them really dependent upon how lively and how fertile a person's consciousness is, how well it developed it is? I mean, here you have had this un- mm-hmm. this unity thing since college, but most people are a little bit more calcified mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. restricted than that. I would say no. I would say that anyone can do this and notice a change immediately. And I want to say, I feel that the reason that these methods, these these vibrational tools that I've uncovered are working now is because the world is different now than when you and I first started Transcendental Meditation back in the early 70s. And that, you know, there's been a tremendous preparation that's taken place. And now there's so much consciousness available that these tools and techniques that I'm using, that, that I'm offering people to use... And of course, that I'm, I am using myself, they work. People who are drawn to using them find them very effective. So, even if a person has PTSD or maybe drug problems or something, they're kind of a stressed out person, they'll be able to use these tools. Yes. Get benefits. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's one of the beauties of them. Would you suggest or recommend that they? supplement these tools with something like TM or some some form of meditation? Does that add an extra engine to it or make it make it the tools more does. effective? If they're doing uh, any kind of spiritual practice, it definitely augments the whole process. Okay. And of course, the most powerful spiritual practice is this whole process of going into the source. Mm-hmm. And of course, TM takes people into the source. These tools take people into the source, actually. One of them is the softening technique, Mm. which is a series of having you, we'll just do it right now. Do you want me to close my eyes? Sure. Soften in the heart. Soften in your throat. 
Soften in the brow, the third eye. Soften at the crown, at the top of the head. Soften at the base of your spine. Soften in the pelvic area. Soften in the solar plexus. And again in your heart. And then again in your throat. Soften. Soften in the brow. and the crown and the base of the spine and again in your pelvic area solar plexus and the heart What I recommend is that people start with this softening exercise. Mm -hmm. The softening exercise is obviously the attention is on the main energy centers of the body. Yeah. So when you say soften, I mean, basically all I was able to do is just bring my attention to the different areas you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a sort of a, there's an influence when you bring your attention to something. Right. And the intention is to soften. The mm-hmm. attention is on the As opposed part to of the body. constriction or tension right. or something, just relaxation. And the intention is to soften. Right. Well, that relaxation moves you through the rigid boundaries of these different energy centers. And what it does is it's moving you into the more boundlessness. Mm-hmm. So by repeating it, you're helping a person get into that unboundedness. And I will do the softening for 10 minutes when I'm, you know, working with someone or mm-hmm. working with a group. I do a lot of free webcasts, and, and anybody seeing this can attend a free webcast and experience the process. Mm. We'll explain later how to tune yeah. into those. Yeah. yeah, because really the experience is the most important thing as far as I'm concerned. I'm talking about my story here, but my story, every single step of my story was a footstep into deeper experience. Right. And that's really what, to me, is, is real. Mm-hmm. If, if the experience is real, is there, then you know it. You don't have to intellectualize it, but you, you know it from your core. Sure. So that's what I'm trying to give people, is an experience from their core of union with God, basically, of connection with the divine. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And so obviously what you're implying is that when enough softening has taken place and dissolving and all that, then naturally the connection with the divine begins to be more experiential. Right. That it's clouded more or obvious. occluded by mm-hmm. all these sort of hidden tensions and That's right. crud. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Because it's there already, it's just that it's been covered up. These techniques that I offer people are just ways to, one, enliven the divine Mm -hmm. with the divine qualities and two break the blockages with the clear i have a whole a bunch of clearing tools clearing with the break break if there's a block you can because we are divine beings in truth when we say to a blockage go it has to go Mm. if as long as we're commanding from our divine authority 
I teach people how to clear the blockages in their system by just connecting with their, their divine authority and saying to it, go, go into the light. I was never a very good visualizer, you know? Like, I never felt like I was getting any noticeable predicted results when I did the TM City program. When I go through something like that, I imagine if I were to sit and do all your techniques with you, there would be a sort of a sense of moving my attention here and there, and it would be just a sort of a, almost a subtle conceptual notion of breaking this and telling mm -hmm. that to go. Mm -hmm. But it, it's all very vague and, uh, to me. It's not like really vivid and, and clear. Do you find that among the people you work with, there's a, there's a range with people like me on one end of the scale and others more clearly cognizing or experiencing the things that are going on? No. <laughs> no. I find that um, actually vague is good. Yeah? Because vague means more subtle. Mm. And I'm trying to get people to experience more subtle. I'm not trying to get them to have a clear mental experience. Uh-huh. What you're calling vague just means a more it's fundamental like a feeling experience. level of the thing, right? Kind of. Yeah. Okay. And you see, people aren't used to focusing on their vague, faint feeling level. Mm. In fact, we tend to dismiss it. Mm. Um, and really, that vague, faint feeling level is what's even more real than what we're cognizing with our intellect. Huh. Well, that's so, reassuring because I'm kind of a pro at yeah. vague, fate feeling. <laughs> but I'm always yeah. kind of like hearing people talk about these vivid experiences and I think, no, I'm not having that. No, no, no. See, what happens as you bring your attention within and start to notice at first just some vague, faint feeling level yeah. is as you fall into it or, or soften into it, mm -hmm. to use that, that technique, as you soften into it, it becomes more real. It becomes yeah. more concrete because you're softening into your subtle experience of life. Mm. We all, including me in the early days, we dismiss that subtle experience of life. And really that subtle experience of life is the most significant. It's the most important. I actually am trying to get people to notice their subtle experiences, their, their vague, faint feeling level, and give it some credence. Yeah. And not just, the, the intellect can so easily dismiss it and say, oh, well, that wasn't real. You know, it probably is real. And if you pay more attention to it, it's going to become more real than anything that your intellect can conjure up. So that's what I actually am training people to do, is pay attention to what's happening on the subtlest levels, even the subtlest level of creation, where the unmanifest is manifesting into form. That subtlest level of creation is incredibly important. <laughs> that's where the divine resides. And so if you start paying attention to that as even as a faint feeling or as a vague, abstract thing, it's going to start to become more concrete. You're going to start having divine perception, really. And that's one of the things that I actually am trying to help people realize, that you just have to get more subtle, more quiet, more internally focused to have divine perception because... It's all happening, and we just aren't noticing it. So the, a lot of the techniques that I do um, help you notice what's happening on subtle levels. I feel like even after 
45 plus years of regular spiritual practice, you know, mm-hmm. hours a day without mm-hmm. fail. I mean, there's a real nice, profound 24 7 mm-hmm. thing established, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I'm very acutely aware that there are still blocks, you know, blocks in the head, blocks in mm-hmm. the heart, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps other mm-hmm. centers in the body. You know, and, and sometimes I feel like, you know, God, just rip me open, pulverize me, um, you know, dissolve mm-hmm. this. I, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of still blocking after all this time, I would really yeah. like it to go. I talk to a lot of people who just conceptualize all this, and they say, oh, it's all oneness and all this stuff about, you know, levels and blocks mm-hmm. and God and all this, this silly no- nonsense. But they're just concept- they're in the head. They're just conceptualizing right. oneness. Right. They that's haven't right. even perhaps begun to fathom the, the experiential dimension of it. Yeah. And I kind of harp on that a bit in a lot of interviews, that, that there's this, you know, lifetime experiential exploration that one really has to engage in. Um, and you know maybe lifetimes experiential mm-hmm. exploration is mm-hmm. not just a matter of you know conceptualizing what Ramana Maharshi talked about and then feeling like you're on his level or something. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling a bit, but you know what do you have to say to all that? Well, I have a lot to say. The biggest thing that I want to say, though, and the thing that that, that my work emphasizes is moving into the heart, mm-hmm. out of the mental concepts and into the heart, into the perception of the heart, and. For one, the perception of the heart is clear if you give it a chance. We're constantly being trained to override the the heart perception with our mind. I mean, that's what the Western society and the way we, we were raised is all about. But the heart, that's where the true knowledge is. That's really where the divine is. That's where the divine mother is. As I'm, I haven't gotten to how I discovered divine We're mother. We're going to talk about that. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about divine mother because that's the main focus of my work now is the divine mother. But the divine mother resides in the heart. The divine mother is the creator. You can call it mother, father, God. I explain that when I mean divine mother, I'm not leaving out the father, God. They're one. It's just that the, the Divine Mother is resurging at this time on the planet because of the tremendous need for the qualities of the Mother, the love, the nurturing, the nourishment, the tremendous compassion. Now God is coming forth as Mother God to unite her children, to bring the people back together. But about heart... Um, I mean, a this lot of people. A lot of people have talked about that. You know, Ramana Maharshi talked about Atma Vigyana or self-inquiry as being mm-hmm. a probing or exploration in that area. And you know, the Chandogya Upanishad has this beautiful thing about how all the, the stars and the winds and the, everything is is there. Mm. And this, I don't know. I can't do justice to it. But so, are you talking about kind of an energetic center where the attention should dwell, or which should be awakened or enlivened a whole lot more? When you say Definitely heart. should be awakened and enlivened a lot more. Mm-hmm. One of the ways to awaken it and enliven it, one of the techniques that I offer is, I call it the heart exercise, which is simply breathing into the heart, putting your attention here. As you breathe. As you breathe, mm-hmm. bringing the breath in from the outside directly into the heart as well as down the throat. And letting your awareness be in this heart energy center, not just the heart organ. Yeah. And then training yourself, really, from moving from, from here, from the heart, rather than from the head. 
the mind and the heart need to integrate. But the way things have been is the mind has dominated the heart, actually pushed it aside. Mm. And so a lot of the amazing knowledge that the heart is capable of giving us has been ignored and just pushed aside. One of the things when we breathe into it, we'll notice we have blocks Mm -hmm. in that area, which the breath can open up by breathing into the blockage you can dissolve it. So as an actual practice, you would recommend people sit for 5, 10, 20 minutes or whatever, and just with eyes closed, have have the attention on the heart, and breathe in. Yes. Yeah, breathe into the heart, and then notice what you're noticing. Whatever sensation you may feel. Yeah, whatever. A sensation, you might notice a pain. A burning. You notice a burning? A little bit. Right now, I've I, I noticed a little subtle kind of last couple yeah. of days also just some subtle burning sensation. Oh, so then I would say breathe into it, preferably with eyes closed, so you can really focus the power of your attention there, because where your attention right. is is where your consciousness goes. Now, so, a lot of times I notice sensations more in my head, and I like there's a, I spend a lot of time in front of the computer focusing on mm-hmm. minute details mm-hmm. and I'll, you know, I'll notice a tightness or a tension or even a sort of a feeling in my head and so I'll think alright well I, just, I should have the attention here to soothe and heal that and so there'll be a predominance mm-hmm. of my time spent doing that during say, meditation I would say even if the pain is in your head breathe into your heart mm-hmm. by breathing into your head you can get a little top heavy Mm. But if you breathe into your heart, you'll actually find that it'll start. It'll take care of the head. It'll take care of the head. Yes. (laughs) Because the heart, it's the center chakra, you know, of the the main physical chakras. Mm -hmm. So by breathing into that, and whatever has been compromised in the heart can cause pain in other parts of the body. So it's that's kind of like why, a master switch that's right. on a fuse box. It, it totally is. <laughs> yeah. So so breathe into the heart. In fact, when you're finished with the computer, if you could just sit there and breathe into your heart for 10 minutes, a lot of that mental tension will dissipate. And notice where what you're noticing when you notice the burning that you just mm-hmm. talked about. That's an imbalance. Right. That's an imbalance of the energy flow. So as you breathe into it, the breath carries the life force, and that life force will balance out that burning sensation. Now, when you sit with eyes closed, the breath gets very subtle and almost just a very faint thing like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you saying that one should just let that be the breathing, or should one no. consciously exaggerate the breath somewhat? I wouldn't exaggerate it, so, but know, I would just take normal breaths. Normal breaths. Normal. Uh, the breath might soften just because you're used to when you close your eyes, the breath softening. Yeah. And that's okay. But if nothing much is happening, just breathe more strongly. Uh-huh. Because you do, the stronger the breath, the more power yeah. goes. So, in like there. if you're just sitting there, mind starts to wander, or whatever. Just bring it back. Breathe more yeah. strongly into the heart. Bring yeah. it, bring it back. In fact, yeah. I have a, I have a digital download of me guiding someone huh. into the heart. So you can just play that. So people could it. just yeah. play that. It's, I think it's 20 minutes, mm-hmm. and that would help someone. Some people use this heart exercise, as I call it, as a meditative practice. Right. They're just breathing into the heart for the 20, 30 minutes, mm-hmm. and it gets them very settled and, and very centered. But the heart is the number one most important place that I encourage people to move from, to heal, mm-hmm. important to heal the heart. It's, the heart has had so much wounding in this 
life on earth, <laughs> that there's a lot of pain in the heart that yeah. needs to be dissolved. And breathe into it. And then the other thing is, this is where the Divine Mother resides, mm -hmm. is in the heart. This is where your true self is also, as united with the Divine. So we're enlivening and awakening our true self. We're awakening the Divine relationship when you move into the heart and breathe into the heart. The heart is the treasure trove of, of our life, really. And another thing, the heart is your center. The mind can go anywhere. It can, it can rationalize anything. But if you come to the heart, the heart will tell you the truth. And so, again, another value of breathing into the heart is once you get through all of the layers of pain and masking and so on, you're going to hear the truth. The, tr the heart will guide you in any important decision. And keep breathing in until you're certain that you've got the divine answer. How many people do you know who've gotten through all the layers of pain and masking? I mean, there must be lots of layers, you know? There are a lot of layers, but you know, they unwind quickly when you're focusing there. It may have taken years to build up the pain, but it can be unwound in a matter of months with regular, regular, you know, focus. I have seen miracles happen with people that I've worked with regularly and just a tremendous clarity. I, I believe personally that our last stresses reside in the heart. And they by reside... stresses you mean like vasanas or impressions which block us uh, from yeah. the divine. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. And the deep core issues, mm. um, even the belief in separation from God, the belief in separation itself is held in the heart area. And so by breathing into that, I'll also include, I'll enlarge the heart area to include the solar plexus, because a lot of our individual belief systems are in the solar plexus and connect to the heart. But it's very empowering to begin to develop the heart. One of the things that I want to get to is how I connected with Divine Mother. Is this a good moment? Yeah, this is fine. Okay. And, and any other details you know, that you want to get to? And at some point you were talking about chasing away bad, subtle beings that are hassling us and all kinds of things. So weave it all into the story, however, in whatever sequence you wish. Okay. I was talking to Jesus and, you know, getting personal advice for my life. Mm -hmm. And you never saw him like the guy with the beard and all that. It was more like this light which had a, a kind of a conscious yeah. persona presence to it. You got positive reinforcement whenever you tried to confirm that that was Jesus. The light would get right. brighter. Yes, and the presence, the, the energy presence of Jesus would get brighter. Yeah. You know, some people are very visual and do see. I have always been more tactile. Yeah. So the developed sense that I have is the sense of touch. And so when I feel a vibe, I, I can touch Jesus with the Jesus energy. Yeah. And to me, that's as real as somebody whose visual sense is developed and they see the, a form mm -hmm. with a face and, you know, beard and clothes yeah. and all of that. Yeah, different people have different senses more predominant. That's right. right. Other people have knowingness really strongly developed and they just know without a doubt yeah. that this is Jesus. I am in the presence of Jesus. So my first experiences of of the divine were always from this tactile sense of feeling a presence, sensing of energy. However, as I've developed, my visual now is starting to grow. So I will have 
visual perceptions of, of God in different forms. Incidentally, if, if the emphasis on Jesus seems a little Christian to people who have kind of, who, who acquired a childhood distaste of Christianity through various experiences, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I've interviewed half a dozen people who had similar experiences with Ramana Maharshi. You know, if you want to have the Eastern route, who he came to them before they even knew he existed, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or, you know, they, they kind of get this inner messaging from some being whom, who identifies itself or whom they feel is Ramana Maharshi. Mm -hmm. So it seems like the divine can kind of communicate with us through different forms according to which mm -hmm. form we most resonate with. Exactly. And I have to say, I didn't particularly resonate with Jesus. It was just that... He said the kingdom of heaven is within. So. He was the one that said the kingdom <laughs> of heaven is within. So yeah. I'm like, all right, you said it, you show it to me. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, that's why I kind of got to know him. So I was working with, with Jesus. I also started to investigate other divine beings, some ascended masters, St. Germain, Babaji, the Yogi Christ. Once you're at that subtlest level, you can talk to any anyone. Mm -hmm. uh, you can talk to any divine being, let me put it that way. So you would say, based on this experience, that when these folks drop the body, uh, they don't just merge into the absolute, like a drop in the ocean, never to be distinguished from the ocean again. They still are functional on some subtle realm and able to interact for the benefit of the world. Yes, if that is their purpose. Yeah, right. Some of them do just drop into the mm -hmm. to the unbounded because they've, for whatever reason, it's all individual at that level. Mm. It's an individual choice of, of divine service. Right, but, but many um, maintain some sort but, of functionality. Yeah, many of them do. Mm -hmm. I would love to tell people how to connect with them, which I, I will in okay. a minute. Not that you'll be able to do it immediately, but with practice. Yeah, I mean, you sat you there for months it. before yeah. anything happened, before you even saw right. a glimmer of light. Right. Yeah. Well, now I teach people how to do it in an eight-week course. <laughs> and people still need to practice, but they get the, the initial flavor and they get divine wisdom, which is what I call it. This can be taught. I'm starting to feel the presence of Divine Mother really strongly right now. So she really wants us to. Um, she really wants us. Yeah, really. <laughs> so I was doing this for people, and I started having a visual that I had ignored many times. Hmm. Um, like you were saying, on this faint feeling level, something's happening, but I didn't look at it. And what this, what this image was, was of a huge wave of light coming out of of the unmanifest, of the unmanifest wholeness. It was just this huge wave of light that would then break up and it would move into the whole universe. I had seen that before, but I, I just didn't pay attention to it. At a certain time, I started to watch it. It was beautiful, and there was a tremendous feeling of love and joy and everything, everything wonderful, everything divine with it. So I just started watching this wave of light come up and break, and all the different little particles of it would then combine and create something, and, and more particles over here were creating something. You didn't know what it was. But I it didn't was interesting. know what it was. Yeah, it was fascinating, and it was <laughs> extremely joyful to yeah. watch. So another wave would come up. At one point, I, I, how, this, how this dawned on me, but I thought, that's the creator 
creating from the unmanifest. Mm. But not only is it the creator, it's the divine mother birthing the creation. It's the birth of the creation that I was watching. And so this divi- the divine mother, it was certainly the divine mother because of all the qualities of such love and all the things I mentioned, just gently and wonderfully nourishing the growth of everything in the creation the deep just connection because the divine mother was creating everything out of herself and when i realized this is the divine mother it was like i just you know i was just overwhelmed with a sense of of surrender and in unity i felt complete union you know with with the divine mother and i started really focusing on the divine mother as the supreme being the supreme being of the universe. So we call it mother, not necessarily because it's female, but because it's an aspect of divine intelligence which has this sort of nurturing, healing, supportive and quality. Creative. Creative birthing, quality. Birthing. Birthing right. was what was so... Yeah. That's what was the, the amazing thing to me, was it was birthing the creation. It yeah. was actually creating. Like a lot of times you hear people say, well, we refer to God as He usually, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you know we have pictures of this big guy with a beard and, mm-hmm. and all, and, and uh, people say, "Well, that's ridiculous. God is not He or She. It's mm-hmm. just sort of, you know, pure intelligence." But what you're saying is that you know this pure intelligence, if that's a proper word to use, has these different qualities, and the one you begin cognizing here, mm-hmm. really, the word mother fits very nicely because it's it's so creative, so so right. supportive, so healing, yes. all that. Yes, yeah. perfect. And it's, perhaps we could even think of some masculine qualities of God that we might say is the Divine Father or some such you know, thing, mm-hmm, by, mm-hmm. by comparison. It was because of the feeling level that I was experiencing it as the Mother, but, but at that level, the Divine Father has all those qualities as well. Mm. It has the incredible like tenderness, mm. deep, deep love, love for, for the creation as yourself. Yeah. And obviously in Vedic cosmology they personify these things, you know, mm-hmm. you have Shiva and Shakti and Vishnu and Lakshmi and you know mm-hmm. these different sort of father mother kind of figures. Mm-hmm. And I suppose these are perhaps literal on some level but you know representative of these different qualities. Mm-hmm. Definitely. My experience of the divine mother is that the divine mother is the divine father. Divine mother is Shiva, is Vishnu that all of these are, I, I use the term Divine Mother, and I know it's because of the, um, the devotional aspect. The power of the love was so overwhelming that I just associated with maternal love. Mm-hmm. But that meant that the Divine Mother was also all of the Father, you know, expressions mm-hmm. of God. So that's when I started just focusing on Divine Mother and asking her what she had to say what knowledge was there from Divine Mother. And I I always go to the knowledge because people have experiences, people have spiritual experiences, and they don't realize that every experience has knowledge that's trying to be communicated Mm. with it. So they'll tell you the experience of, I saw this light and I saw this, this expression of God, and then I'll say to them, well, what was that trying to say to you? What was that communicating to you? And they're like, oh, I, I never 
thought about that because we're so overwhelmed with just the display of the of the person of the divine. But if the divine is revealing itself to you, it has something to say. It's got a message for you. Presumably a profound message, not just uh, you know, right. invest in IBM or something, but yeah, something, <laughs> something deeper. <laughs> right, right. A very yeah. profound message. And it may be, I love you. And that is a very profound message, mm. especially to people who maybe didn't know they were loved. A basic human problem is we all feel we're unworthy in some way, and mm. particularly unworthy in the eyes of God. So when God comes forth to say, I love you, you are so important to me. It's a, a life-changing experience. So that's one of the things that I did when I saw this, you know, the Divine Mother displaying and creating the universe. I started asking her what she had to say. Because I had practiced this previously with Jesus, you know, I had a little bit more skill and could start to communicate with the Divine Mother. And essentially, I've been communicating with her ever since. I mean, she wants everyone to know her. She wants to talk to everybody. Essentially, what she wants people to know is how deeply she loves them and how she's there for them. Mm. You know, people feel so isolated and alone and, you know, life can be very rough. And she wants to help them. She wants to help people move through the forest that we can experience of life, where we're lost and don't know where to turn and feel like we're, we're back up against the wall and what do we do? Her compassion for us is just immense and she wants to help us move through our life in a very personal way. That's kind of the message that I'm giving to people. It's like th that's become my message, which is sort of just in service to Divine Mother, to tell people she cares and she wants to talk to you. She wants to communicate with you. And these tools and techniques are, are methods that I've found that have helped me connect with her and they could very, very readily help you connect with her. But that's really what she wants. She wants to bring all of her children home. And by bringing home, that means bringing them back into her heart, bringing them back into their self self-knowledge, knowledge of themselves even as one with her. So that's really what I do now, is help Divine Mother connect with people and communicate with people and then help people connect. I always, on my free webcasts, I tell people how to connect with her, the first step, because I, there are further steps, but the first step is the most important step. And essentially, I can tell you that how now, mm -hmm. if you want me to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say something, but you might as well just go ahead. Okay. All you have to do <laughs> is breathe into your heart, mm -hmm. center in your heart, and you do have to get heart-centered. And one of the things I do in my um, webcast is I go through about 20 minutes of settling people down mm -hmm. with a softening technique and breaking structures and saying go to discordant energies, bringing people into the heart so that the heart is very alive and awake, and then say the name. All you really have to do to call forth any being is say their name. Mm -hmm. So we just say the name Divine Mother. You don't have to say it out loud. Usually people have their eyes closed and they're settled quietly, and I just have them say Divine Mother as an impulse of the heart. 
and then notice what happens because I'm having people notice the energy of Divine Mother. And it might be vague, it might be faint, but just notice what happens when you say Divine Mother. Now, we haven't had much of the preparation here, but some people notice a ripple of energy, some people notice a warmth, some people notice expansion, some people notice depth. And if they don't notice anything, then I would just say continue to breathe into your heart to get yourself more centered there. If you feel a block, many people will notice a block. I have them say, go into the light. Just say, go, go into the light, go into the light. And then breathe in it again, into the heart again. And just say, Divine Mother. What you're looking for is just the vibration of her name. Even saying Divine Mother, there's a vibration. So first you can just notice Divine Mother as the, the energy wave of that name. And soften into it. And then say it again, Divine Mother, is that you? Notice the energy. You're noticing something very subtle. Because I'm teaching the subtle senses to wake up. The subtle senses need to wake up to perceive divine, the divine. So that's all you say, Divine Mother, and then soften. Are you there? And a lot of people, we've been trained to ignore our subtle senses. So the mind might say, well, I noticed some, some expansion, but why wouldn't I notice that anyway? We're, we've been talking about Divine Mother for the last 15 minutes, <laughs> um, or 20. Anyway, trust it. Trust that experience. If it's not real, it'll become obvious. But if it is real, it'll increase. So that's what you're looking for. And then I, I have people say, Divine Mother, come forth. Because she will. Her energy will come forth if you say, Divine Mother, come forth. But I'm emphasizing to you, it's an energy. It's not that somebody's going to walk in the door and say, Here I am. It's a vibration that will become stronger and stronger as you work with it. In the same way, oh, okay. She's talking to me, telling me what to do now. Um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> Mom. <laughs> I know. I was actually going to say, maybe I should have Rick interview Divine Mother. Um, <laughs> well, I could do some of that. But what she's saying now. She wants us to connect with her. And so she's saying, well, she's saying, tell people they need some healing. They, they need some healing. And especially at these subtle levels, they need healing. She says, don't be discouraged. I'm here to help you heal. She's saying, use the techniques. And she says, and one of the other techniques is my name. Divine Mother. Divine Mother, mm -hmm. saying my name. And she says, um, in other traditions, chanting the name of Divine Mother, mm -hmm. be it in Sanskrit or um, any other language, is a technique for healing and uniting with me. Yeah, like the Gayatri mantra. Or yeah, you know, things like that. right, right. But even in English, the word Divine Mother repeated over and over again is going to create my vibration which will heal you and deepen your experience of me. So that's the first thing that I teach people. There's a lot more to it. There's a discernment value where to discern whether you're, what you're getting is really from Divine Mother or just your intellect or from some other level of creation that you don't want to have anything to do with. 
that could be even, even be damaging to you. You want to be very alert to things like that. And I teach that in this course that I teach. That's really the first step, is just saying Divine Mother. And the other thing is, at that level of that, that subtle, quiet relative, you can say Buddha, and you can bring Lord Buddha forth, that vibration. You can say Lord Krishna. Certainly you can say Jesus Christ. They are all vibrations. They're all frequencies. They're divine frequencies. They're coming right out of that unmanifest. Once you get used to it, you know, com- communing with them there, it's, it's very comfortable. It's quite a wonderful experience. Your life becomes uh, very much in relationship with, with the divine on a very, I, I want to say, concrete level. Even though many people don't think vibration is concrete, it really is. It's the first wave that comes out of the unmanifest, is a vibration, a, a wave of light, which has a personality. <laughs> that is the, um, the divine relationship that I was looking for, the, the personal relationship with the divine. Whereas I had the relationship with the, the infinite, the infinite wholeness, but I wanted to experience the personal relationship. And I have. It's great. <laughs> you know, it's sort of, I found the kingdom of heaven. It's not that I'm, I've opened the door, let me put it that, that way. Um, I found the way in. And the more I go in and experience it, the, just the richer my life becomes, and the more knowledge is available. When you were talking about Divine Mother, the earlier and going through the whole thing the image that came to mind was that you know we're not talking about something that's far off that will come to us right we're talking about you know something that's oceanic that we are that already contains us and it's like you know the analogy of fish in the ocean looking for water or, or being thirsty mm-hmm. it sounds mm-hmm. absurd because mm-hmm. they're just completely engulfed in water mm-hmm. and uh, so that divine is omnipresent and um, it's just a matter of clearing away, I guess, uh, you can explain what it's a matter of, but it's, a ma- it's a, just a matter of establishing that connection with something which uh, ultimately we're already connected with, but which is obscured by some ignorance, some, mm-hmm. you know, blocks, mm-hmm. some whatever. Mm-hmm. And which, as you were saying, wants us to make that connection. It's not like it's going to be elusive or shy or right. <laughs> try to avoid right, us right, if we right. attempt to make the connection. It's just a matter of yeah. choosing to make that connection. Yes. Yeah, because she's making the connection with us all the time. It's just we don't see it. We're ignoring it. We're yeah. ignoring it, yeah. yeah. And when we make the choice to make the connection, it's like the two circuits mm-hmm. um, Connect. meet. Yeah. Well, you know, you're talking about subtle senses and you know, subtle perception and all that needing to be enlivened. And just kind of the way the senses are structured, uh, by habit, they are outer-directed. And the outer world appears to be gross, concrete. And so continual engagement with the mm-hmm. outer world to the exclusion of the inner coarsens the, the, the faculties mm-hmm. of perception. Mm-hmm. And uh, so all the, it's, it's sort of like a muscle that atrophies if you don't use mm-hmm. it. So mm-hmm. all that subtle stuff, you know, not being used for decades, lifetimes, 
the potential is there, but it, it mm -hmm. needs we need rehab. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, we have to wake it up. And I really think that all of my, you know, all that time that I was spending with my eyes closed, I was waking it up. I had to wake up my own subtle perceptions to be able to see the divine that I was looking for. Yeah. And then I got little techniques and tools of how to help me wake up my subtle perceptions and how to clear these blocks and fears and, you know, things that we carry. Mm -hmm. And um, the whole process was necessary. In a way, you're pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. I mean, obviously, you're resorting to a power much higher than yourself. But remember the principle of the snowplow. It clears its own mm -hmm. path. Mm -hmm. You didn't readily find techniques and practices and uh, teachers and whatnot, although you found some great ones, you didn't necessarily mm -hmm. receive all the instructions and information you needed to do the exploration you've been doing. And right. so you kind of just, it, it was a self-exploration process. Definitely, And a yeah. self-discovery process. Yeah. And, a, and in, the, in the course of doing that, the invention of, of these techniques. And I, I presume it's ongoing. I mean, you know, certainly you... You do associate mm -hmm. with great teachers still. You go to see Ama mm -hmm. and probably mm -hmm. do other things. But there is this sort of ongoing inner exploration, mm -hmm. right? Definitely, yes. In fact, in fact, I found the inner adventure far more exciting than the outer adventure. Yeah. The, the, once I started you know, closing my eyes and looking to see what was inside, it was like worlds opening up. And it's not like you lost and, interest in your family or anything, right? Oh, no. No, no. no we're still... Yeah. I mean, it's not like, oh, this is boring. You guys are boring. I'm going to go close no. my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> no. In fact, the outer... You know, my family has definitely kept me grounded and practical yeah. all through this. You know, <laughs> doing something like this with my... You know, even with my daughter when she was an infant... And then starts crying. You have to go in. You've got to, you know, change the diaper and feed them. Yeah, and, you know, then go off, you yeah. know, and do all the worldly things that you do with children. And all the way through, you know, we're still doing all those things. Yeah. Well, if you're really going to be of any use to the world and be, be able to bring such things to the world, then you probably need to know how to function in the world. Right. You know? Yeah. And True. Otherwise, you'd just be sitting in a room someplace. And, mm hmm Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, my life hasn't allowed me to just sit in the room someplace, although just a few Periods hours at a time. Yeah. Yeah. When a, an explorer is exploring, like, uh, there's always the next horizon, you know? Mm -hmm. And, like, I just watched the movie Contiki a couple of weeks mm. ago. It was great. Mm. Tor Heyerdahl going across the Pacific Ocean. To, and, uh, you know, they're always kind of looking for land and, you know, or looking to the horizon and figuring out where they are on the map and things like that, making sure they're catching the current. So, you know, with you, is what, what is your sense of the map uh, of life, uh, where you are on that map and what there might yet be to discover in the course of your exploration? I'm sort of at a point where I've, I've found that um, being innocent is the best yeah. <laughs> is the best position to take. Because when you're innocent, then things can be revealed to you that you might have not looked at before, mm. you might have missed. At the moment, the biggest thing that I'm doing is just uh, teaching people, using my website to reach more people. Personally, the journey just gets deeper and deeper, it just goes into more and more depth. Well, in the case um, of Kantiki, they were at the mercy of the currents and the wind. Mm. 
they couldn't go back to Peru if they wanted to. They had to keep going west because mm. that's the way the currents were taking them. Oh. So where do you feel like the currents are taking you innocently? Where do they seem to be taking you? I'm referencing in inside mm. now. Well, uh, they're taking me <laughs> to just com- continue to erase any semblance of fear or pain from my own life. And then as I do that, I find that my experience of myself becomes more expanded. So I take on other projects rather than by just working on clearing my own my own system, I start clearing the world system. Mm. You know, I do a lot of work in, in healing and clearing the world. That's been a, cons- a big concern of mine is to, you know, just do what I can to use the knowledge that I have to dispel the, the, the darkness and the ignorance in the world. And you don't just and, mean by doing webinars and teaching techniques, you also mean like eyes closed yeah. within your consciousness, you're That's primarily serving what as I a mean. washing machine yeah. of sorts. I, I've got a, a group that meets on Tuesdays and we always address world situations, whatever's up in the world. So you've been working um, on Syria? And yeah, I've like been that, working yeah. on Syria this last few weeks. Mm-hmm. It's a job to uplift the whole world. Huge. <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm, where I'm personally, where I personally sense myself. Like you said, individually when I'm doing my own internal meditative work and also um, getting groups, you know, the groups that I'm with, we always do something for the world. And then, of course, there's the whole universe. There's the solar system, and there's the universe. That, mm. But mostly we're here on the planet right now, and the planet, this planet needs a lot of attention. And so that's where most of my attention is going. I, I would love to teach as many people as possible how to become a, how to work with energy, how to be a master of energy, so that when there's something that you don't like, like the war in Syria, we've been pouring divine light into it, just flooding the whole thing with divine light. Obviously, more and more people doing that, and there are other groups doing that. I can't say my group is definitely not the only one. There's lots of groups doing that. So participating in that, the global awakening, is really where I'm going. I mean, there's until the globe awakes fully, there's a lot of work to do right here on Mother Earth. Do you think it ever will? Is there ever such a thing, or is it just yeah, an, I think uh, ongoing? It there's always going to be people who aren't quite mm-hmm. so awake as others, and you know, new people being born. And... Well, I think there's something big happening. Mm-hmm. I think it, you know, in the next hundred years, we could say there's something big happening, um, and that it is going to. There is going to be a big, a big change, a big shift, mm-hmm. and everyone who who knows about it, and that's certainly not everyone who's embodied on the planet that knows about it and that's working it's a minority for it. Fraction. Right, yeah. right, right. But we happen to be in that minority, and so we have to do what we're here to do, which is help shift it. And a minority can shift it, you oh, yeah. know, as you know. Sure. <laughs> so, in recent interviews, I've quoted a lot of those principles of like, you know, pacemaker cells in the heart, 1%. And, yes. You know, photons and lasers, square root of 1%. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's so many systems in nature where yeah. a tiny bit can shift the whole thing in a different direction. When I address these questions, I'm addressing either Connie or Divine Mother, whoever, you know. I mean, you can take it from any level okay. you want. But 
Do you feel yeah. like it's kind of a done deal in terms of the world shifting to a better place, or do you think that we could do ourselves in with rogue nuclear weapons and Fukushima and you know global warming and all that stuff? So I'm going to let Divine Mother just okay. say it. So here's how I connect with her. Um, I focus my attention on that subtlest level. I say her name, mm -hmm. just like, and then I say Divine Mother, and she's. I say it, you know, inside, not mm -hmm. out loud. And she's saying, I am Divine Mother, I come in the name of truth, and I love you. The world is a beautiful place. We are going to change it. All of the things that you mentioned, the, the catastrophes that have occurred, and the pain on the planet, needs to be changed. It's crying out for change. And if we don't address it, we aren't doing our, our duty. So we have to address it. We're not going to allow it to overcome us. Mother Nature won't allow it to overcome us. She says, divine love won't allow it to overcome us. This is the ebb and flow of life. And right now we're in a big flow. This is the focus now, healing Mother Earth, trusting yourself enough to, to heal the planet. Mother Nature wants the planet healed. And Mother Nature can overcome anything. You will be surprised at what Mother Nature is capable of. So don't despair. Work with me. I am the mother of the universe. My love can transform anything. As you work with me, we generate the energy of divine love. I will show you many miracles. And miracles will become normal. Just work with me. If we're going to... Um arrive at a, you know, a, an enlightened planet. Mm -hmm. um, there are so many things in our current planet which are, you know, would be completely inappropriate and out of place in an enlightened planet. Economic systems, agricultural systems, yes. many, many things which, which just would not fit in uh, in, a, in a more enlightened world. Will the transition from this to that be necessarily be somewhat cataclysmic? Will there necessarily be economic collapse, billions of people dying, and so mm -hmm. on? Or is there a way for, the, for it to all transition more smoothly? Well, there are going to be changes. There are definitely going to be changes. Everything that isn't working has to collapse. I am not going to say... It's a cataclysmic collapse. It's going to be a, a smooth collapse for those who are open to transformation. It's all about transformation. And those who are open to transformation, it will flow. The transformation will, will flow as fluidly as a, the bud of a flower transforms into a full bloom. But for those who are not 
into transformation, who want to try to hold on to the old ways, it's going to be more, more difficult because they're trying to hold on. Now, there are lots of people who are currently in the midst of what appear to be transformative events, um, you know, like Syria, for instance, that we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Are all those people somehow, were all those people somehow shepherded in, in this lifetime into a very difficult situation? Or might there be some, I mean, are those all people who are, have been holding on and therefore they're having a hard time of it? Or, you know, the people who were killed by the Japanese tsunami, if we consider that to have been part of the changes that are taking place. In other words, so, sometimes these transformational events seem to be societal and so large that regardless of one's spiritual orientation, one is caught up in the midst of it. Well, even though there are huge groups of people involved in particular dramas that are going on on the planet, each one of those people is an individual with individual karma and unique, a unique divine purpose to fulfill. I'm looking at the groups as individuals because I, Divine Mother, work with individuals. I work with each person's heart. And so there are people in Japan and Syria who are extremely highly evolved beings who are helping with the transition there. And they may look to you like they are part of the group that is suffering or resisting something, or fighting for something. They are doing something for me to help me introduce new light on this planet. So I love them all, and I don't want to diminish them in any way by saying they are part of a group that just has to experience this way. Every member of that group has a special, unique experience of me, of life, of love, of truth, and they're all growing in their own ways. The grace of God is guiding this transformation. I don't think I can quite explain to you how the divine intelligence has a focus on every individual human being on this planet. It's quite remarkable. It's remarkable. So that is why I don't want to um, say, yes, this group is, you know, this group has to experience that, or another group has to experience something else, because each individual in that group is having their own experience of what's happening in that region of the world. And would it be safe to say that whatever happens, if whatever is happening, if we zoom back far enough and see it in the, in the big enough picture, uh, it's all for the good, it's all an evolutionary process? Or is it more like there's a, a battle of good and evil and sometimes evil gets the other hand and it's not so good? Or is it actually, in the biggest picture, good even if evil at times seems to be getting the upper hand? Well, what I want you to understand is that evil, <laughs> what, what is evil, and those people who are represented evil are also in the process of growth and evolution. Mm-hmm. And they have chosen to um, stand with that side of life because they're growing and learning. 
and they will actually grow out of the evil. And they're serving an evolutionary purpose, even though they may seem to be evil. So, like for instance, That's Ravana right. and the Ramayana, you know, who battled with Rama and kidnapped his wife and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. There wouldn't have been a story without him. And, mm -hmm. and actually, there was an evolutionary outcome to the whole conflict, which perhaps not might not have been achieved mm -hmm. had there not been a conflict. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly the truth. So, in the larger picture, the evolution is ongoing. There are choices being made, and those choices are very significant. That's the wild card with planet Earth, is that human beings do have free will, and that they are making choices, and the choices are sometimes unpredictable. And so with Earth, there's this level of unpredictableness that makes it particularly fascinating. So... You being here, participating in this, is a tremendous evolutionary burst for you. You meaning you, whoever's you and listening. whoever's listening to yeah. us, and that is why I want to help you. <laughs> <laughs> I want to help you make those choices that are that are going to expand your growth and evolution, that are going to enhance your heart. Yes, because overall. The whole universe is conducted in love. And that is something that most human beings haven't quite understood. Love is not really appreciated here yet for its power of evolutionary force. It has an incredible power to propel evolution forward. And I would love to help you with that. Because it's inevitable that that, that power will take over. That power has to take over. It runs everything in the universe. So that is why I'm encouraging people to move to their hearts, to start making the choices in alignment with truth and love. This is what hasn't been done on the planet. The choices haven't been made in alignment with truth and love. And so the situation has gotten extreme, extreme. Well, that's a good segue into concluding because you have a number of ways in which people can take you up on that offer to help. Obviously, the, the, the most simple way is to just go to your website and oh, then they'll yes. find everything mm -hmm. there. Yeah, divinemotheronline.net. Mm -hmm. And I'll be linking to that as always from uh, batgap.com, from Connie's page on batgap.com. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned like things they can download, and you know mm -hmm. there's there's a little email you can get every day with a little kind of divine mother message. All right, I subscribe to that. And and, and there's also um, the free webcast. Free webcast. We do those once at least once like a month. Like on live stream or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Free webcast. You either go to our webpage or you there's also a teleconference option mm -hmm. or a Skype option. Okay. Do you do individual sessions with people still? I do. Yeah. I do. I do individual private sessions for those who would like that. Over Skype or in person yeah. if they're here. Right. Yeah. Usually, yeah, Skype or telephone. Telephone, yeah. One of those. And I have lots of membership programs. I have something called the Ascension Program, mm -hmm. which is a membership program that is very, very hands-on and um, very powerful. Ascension is, the, is discussed and explained as, as the highest goal of human life to develop Ascension. So we talk about that. And I have the dialogue with Divine Mother where I teach people how to talk to Divine Mother. There are many, many wonderful things available. Good. Well, I always 
you know, I'm, I always admire people who systematize things in a way. Just to kind of maybe it's because that's, that's what Maharishi always did, and I kind mm-hmm. of got saw the value of that. Because a number of people just they'll get up and they'll just describe their experience, and other people listen, and never the twain shall meet. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, if if people kind of can come up with some practical means whereby one can rise to the same mm-hmm. level of experience mm-hmm. that the person mm-hmm. is having, then that it's kind of more useful. So mm-hmm. I'm glad you're doing that. Great. Well, let me make some wrap-up points. Um, I've been speaking with Connie Hubner, and I must say, you know, I feel very kind of uplifted or re- settled or wh- whichever <laughs> direction you want to take. <laughs> Just, it's, it's really sublime sitting with you like this for a couple of hours, and it has a nice influence. Thank you. Um, You've just heard about her website, which I'll be linking to, and you've heard at length all the things you can do, so I want to elaborate on those. With regard to Buddha at the Gas Pump, this is an ongoing interview series. Um, I think Connie will be number 194 or something like that, so there's plenty of back issues, so to speak, to to listen to if you'd like, and they're all archived at batgap.com, both alphabetically and chronologically. And there's an email newsletter thing you can sign up for to be notified of new ones, which happens about once a week. Uh, there's an audio podcast, if you don't have time to sit in front of your computer and watch things, I don't blame you. Uh, <laughs> you can sign up for the audio podcast, get it all on your iPod, and listen while you're commuting or something. There's a discussion group at batgap.com. Um, so there's general discussion areas. And then there is uh, an individual discussion group area set up for each interview. So you'll see a link to that on Connie's page. There's a donate button, which I don't make a big fuss over, but I really rely upon people clicking it occasionally and making a donation enables this whole thing to keep rolling. I think that just about covers it. If I'm leaving something out, I'll remember it next week or you'll find it when you go there. So thanks a lot for listening or watching. Thank you very much, Connie. And we'll see you next week.